you are, have the black pew Bibles, that's page 386. The blue pew Bible, it's 414. So 386 and the black one, 414. The blue one, we're in a series through the book of Esther. We're coming close to the close of it. Um, and so if you're new and visiting, well, hopefully you'll be able to catch on where we're headed. And we've got just a couple weeks left. And it's in, our series is entitled Silent Providence and Certain Deliverance. Silent Providence because God's name is not even mentioned in the book. And yet, we're going to see that their deliverance and salvation is certain. So uh, please pray with me. Need God's help. I'm going to ask him and he's going to give it to us. Lord, thank you for your promises. Promises that you, Lord, would never turn your son away when he asked for bread. You would never turn him away with a stone or asking for fish to send him away with a snake. So we ask for a good gift this morning and that best of all possible gift is to send your spirit in a powerful way to reveal Jesus Christ to us. So Lord, we ask, would you do that? Would you help me to speak clearly and helpfully? We help people to listen. Would you turn ears into eyes? Would you awaken dead hearts to life? Would you warm cold hearts? Would you transform lives? Father, we confess that is impossible for humans to do. But we agree with Jesus that with him nothing is impossible. Even making dead people alive and inheriting salvation. So help us this morning. For Jesus' sake, amen. She was remarkable. She was renowned the world over for her beauty. She was even in the title of famous books. She was called by a whole country, Our Lady, Notre Dame. But then on April 15th, 2019, she was burning. For 650 years, Notre Dame of Paris, this French cathedral, had stood, but now on fire. And the question was, what would happen? There's a question whether the building could even be saved. The spire had collapsed. Most of the roof had, had fallen in. Um, the upper walls were severely damaged. They didn't know if they were going to be able to reverse the damage. And then, of course, if they didn't stop it, it looked like Our Lady would be in ruins forever. And those two great enemies of buildings, fire and water, seem to possibly have caused irreversible damage. But in less than a week, over 1 billion euros, and the euro is worth more than a dollar, were pledged to reconstructing, to reversing the damage that had come to Notre Dame. Ideas poured in from all over the world, saying, here's how you could make changes, make her better, here's some new ideas, designs, things like that. But in the end, what they realized is the best pathway forward was to go backwards, to simply reverse the damage, reverse the, the impact of these enemies, water and fire, and return her to her, her original state. That's the plan. Now, wouldn't that be nice? Say, 
you know, I just want to undo all the damage that's been done in my life by the enemies in my lives, even if it's me, my own worst enemy. It'd be great to go just back in time before that one event happened, before you committed that one sin, before the PTSD. Wouldn't you want to just protect yourself from that? Be freed from that? Wouldn't it be great to just have all of that stuff reversed? Well, really, that's the main theme of Esther chapter 8. And, it, and if we think about the possibility of that happening, there's really one response, and that's to rejoice, to celebrate. So as we're looking through Esther chapter 8, here's the main theme. Rejoice. God reverses the work of the enemy. So rejoice. God reverses the work of the enemy. So in Esther, God has been reversing the work of this enemy, Haman, for several chapters now. Uh, Haman has gone from the second most powerful man uh, in, the, in the Persian Empire. He's exceedingly powerful. Um, and then what comes along is this guy, Mordecai. And really God is directing events and soon uh, Haman is brought down. He's reversed from being number two to his own death. But it's not quite done. God is still reversing the work of that enemy. So as we look at chapter 8, we're going to notice four things that God is reversing. We're going to notice that God is reversing the enemy's power. He's reversing the enemy's power. He's reversing the enemy's plot. So changing the plot. There's some, a lot of parallels to chapter 3 here. Reversing the enemy's proclamation. And lastly, reversing the enemy's impact. So reversing power, plot, proclamation, and impact. So let's look at how God is at work reversing the enemy's power because we have reason to rejoice. God reverses the work of the enemy. Let's look at how he reverses the enemy's power. In chapter 3, King Ahasuerus, a.k.a. King Xerxes, has given Haman the ring, the ring of power, able to do whatever he wants, essentially. And Haman has used that power to put into place an unchangeable law, saying, I want the Jews wiped out. I want them gone. I'm going to hire everybody in the Persian Empire as a mob. And they're going to kill all the Jews. And so even though Haman is dead, this law has gone on. So the question is, is where is that power going to go? Let's look at verses 1 and 2 with me. So we see how God reverses the enemy's power. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which, had been, which, had take, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther sent Mordecai over the house of Haman. So God has effectively redu- reversed the enemy's power. Once upon a time, the enemy seemed to have absolute power. But now it's totally transformed. It's been given to this man, Mordecai. So uh, Haman, it's revealed now that he's actually a traitor. And what happens is when you are a traitor, the government confiscates your property, your power and everything, and they give it to the government. So the king takes it and he gives it to the queen, Queen Esther. 
And then the queen says, hey, you know Mordecai, that guy that saved your life several years ago, the one you just were celebrating out in the streets for saving your life? Guess what? He's my close relative. He's my uncle or my cousin. There's a little debate on that. But, and so the king says, oh, okay, well, good to know. And the queen says, here, Mordecai, you take over all of Haman's stuff. But that's not even the end of it. The king basically gives this ring, as we'll see a little later, to Mordecai, gives it to Mordecai to do whatever he wants now. The power of the enemy has been reversed. It's been given to someone who will now protect the Jews. For, for months now, they've been worried. Their, their death date is literally on the calendar. Adar 13th, which would be in about the month of March, that's when all the Jews are going to be wiped out. But now the enemy's power has been reversed. It's been given to Mordecai. In baseball, interesting thing is, if you can make contact, it's actually easier to hit a home run off a fastball than a slower pitch. Because all that force coming in, all that power coming in, when it meets the bat, actually compresses the ball, creates like a... Um, basically like a trampoline effect, and it helps the ball actually fly further in the opposite direction. So the faster it's going, the quicker and further it can be reversed in direction. In a sense, Haman has had this fastball of power for a while now, and he's used it to do exceedingly evil things. But he's had so much power that it's actually made it easier for Mordecai to reverse things. It's actually made it easier to turn things the opposite direction because he has so much power now. But the question is, is, if we step way back, how did all this happen? The enemy had all this power, and now it's in this man Mordecai, the Jew, his hands. How did it happen? It happened through the work of a woman, Esther. A woman who was once an orphan, abandoned, a faithful woman here. So one who God has used to turn the tide. So ladies, let me commend you this morning. Sometimes in, as Christian women, you have this pressure put on you to be everything to everyone. You can have the, the family, you can have the husband, you can have the house, you can have the career, you can have everything. And so many of you are godly examples saying, we don't buy that. We don't believe that. I understand that there's only so much I can do. That it's, it's victory. Being a, a faithful wife. Submitting to my husband. Being a faithful church member. Even though, even though the elders are men. That's... And sometimes it's easy to think, well, I just live an ordinary life. But actually, the Christian life that's lived ordinarily by women is supernatural. Supernatural for you to do those things. But I do also want to cast a bit bigger vision as well. That is a big enough vision in itself. But some of you may actually have similar opportunities to Esther. Probably not at her level. She's a queen and a massive empire. But you might have opportunities to preserve lives. You might have opportunities to invent something that changes the world. 
You, you, I don't know what those opportunities might be. You might be able to oversee a business at times. Those are opportunities in the right situations that you can take advantage of. Queen Esther was used by God to help reverse the enemy's power. You can do that too in a variety of ways, in your home, uh, in your neighborhood, and elsewhere. So let's, but that's reason to rejoice, isn't it? God has reversed the work of the enemy. He's reversing the work of the enemy. He did that by reversing the enemy's power. Now let's, now let's look at how he reverses the enemy's plot. He reverses the enemy's plot. There was a plan to Haman Hen. We're going to see that reversed. Look at verses 3 through 8 with me. Verses 3 through 8 of Esther chapter 8. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot he had devised against the Jews. When the, king held out, when the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king, and she said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who were in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But... You may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. So Haman, the enemy of the Jews, has had this plot. This plot is to wipe out all the Jews, all of God's people. Wipe them all out. Get rid of them all. And this is in a law. It went out by proclamation through this Pony Express situation. So everybody in the Persian Empire knows this is coming. And it's bad news. But the king, when he hears about this and this effort that would actually kill his wife, Queen Esther, he's full of wrath. So what did he do last week in chapter 7? He kills Haman. And his wrath is abated, we're told. His wrath is abated. But here's the thing. There's still tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Jews who are still headed for death. So Queen Esther steps in the gap again. And she says, if, she defers to the king's power. She says, if I'm pleasing in your sight. Well, we know now that she is. Every time she appears before him, she's pleasing in his sight. If, if it would please you, king, do something for me. If, if you don't, I'll be miserable. King, do you want an unhappy wife? And Xerxes says, okay. Here, write whatever you please. There's still a problem, though. You can't undo that previous law. Write whatever you please. But that's good news. We're reversing the enemy's plot here. 
This is a reason to rejoice. The plot to kill God's people is being reversed. Innocent people are being saved. People who are headed for death are going to be alive. An unjust, prejudicial law is going to be counteracted, it seems. So that's a reason to rejoice. God is reversing the work of the enemy. He's doing that. He reverses, as we've seen in here, the enemy's power. Now, then second, we saw that he reverses the enemy's plot. Now let's see that he reverses the enemy's proclamation. He reverses the enemy's proclamation. In chapter 3, Haman made this proclamation, sent it out with the Pony Express system all over to the 127 provinces of Persia, and written in all the languages of the empire that, that these, uh, these people of Persia have the right to, in the language of the proclamation, to destroy, to kill, to annihilate the Jews. And it's all going to occur on the 13th day of the month of Adar. So he hires the citizen hit squad and says, hey, prepare yourselves. Guess what? You get to kill your neighbors, take their stuff. Well, some of their stuff if you want. And he sent that all out with kind of, as I said, Pony Express riders carrying the proclamation all over the Persian Empire. So how is it going to be reversed? Well, we see the reversal of the enemy's proclamation in verses 9 through 14. 9 through 14. So read that with me. And remember, the laws here can't be changed. So how are they going to be reversed? The king's scribes were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day. Sounds like history to me. Like it really happened. And an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews, to the satraps and the governors and the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to each province in his own script, and to each people in its own language, and also to the Jews in their script and their language. I want to make sure for sure that we know that the Jews get this. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. On one day throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. Verse 13, a copy of which was written, was to be issued as a decree in every province, being publicly displayed to all people. And the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers mounted on their swift horses that were used in the king's service, rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. So this reversal of the enemy's proclamation brings us some hope. It also brings us some challenge. We find that this reversal is actually a little more detailed than the first proclamation, that first one that went out. It reverses everything. 
everything that went out against the Jews. Now it's reversing into their favor. And it uses explicit language. Now it's going specifically to make us sure that we know that the Jews know they can defend themselves. He uses the very fastest horses. Previously it was just horses. Now we're told it's the fastest horses. And now there's some challenge here, and I'm going to talk about it in a little bit in depth next week. But it sounds kind of harsh. It sounds like the Jews are allowed to even kill women and children. So we'll talk about the complexities of that next week. But really, you'll notice that the purpose is to defend their lives. To defend their lives. They're allowed to, in a sense, be treated as equals now. With everybody else in the empire. Everybody's after the Jews if they want to be. The Jews now are able to treat their enemies the same way and defend their lives. God's people have a chance at being protected here. God is reversing the work of the enemy. He does it by reversing the enemy's proclamation. They can now defend themselves. They're going to live. They're going to live, which is good news at this point in history because Jesus hasn't come yet. And if they're wiped out, the Messiah won't come. And there will just always be evil and injustice in this life. But rejoice. God reverses the work of the enemy. We see that because he reverses the power of the enemy. He reverses the plot of the enemy. He's now reversed the proclamation of the enemy. And now let's look lastly at how God re- reverses the enemy's impact. This event shows that he reverses the enemy's impact. So when this proclamation that Haman sent out to wipe out the Jews, to annihilate them in chapter 3 goes out, Here's the result. People like Mordecai and other Jews, they go into mourning. They take off their comfortable clothes and they put on rash-inducing sackcloth. There's wailing in the streets. There's confusion everywhere. But in verses 15 through 17, confusion and terror, sackcloth, it's all going to be reversed. Look at verses 15 through 17 with me as we see God reversing the enemy's impact. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white with a golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. Sackcloth reversed to royal robes. Fasting reversed to feasting. Confusion, terror, Reverse to rejoicing. Being fearful of death. Reverse to other people being afraid of you. God reverses the enemy's impact. And it leads to rejoicing. 
Now really, the theme of this sermon is a main theme of the whole Bible. The whole Bible. And again, at this point in time, saving the Jewish people is leading to this promised Messiah who's going to open up the reversal of the enemy's impact across the whole universe. It's a main theme. Now listen to this. So we think about that Messiah from 1 John 3, verses 8 and 9. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Reverse them. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now this challenges us, doesn't it? It says, if you're not fighting sin in some way, you're making a practice of it, you're of the devil. But good news for you. The Son of God came to reverse the enemy's impact. He came to destroy the work of the devil. So you could choose to continue on the path you're on, never fighting sin, never engaging in faith, never trusting in Christ and be destroyed, but there's a better option for you. You can turn to Christ who destroys the work of the devil, who reverses the enemy's impact and will do it in your life. He can make you born again so that you're able to have victory over some of those sins. They won't, you will increase in godliness as life goes on. You will grow. The, the enemy's impact on you will be reversed. It might be slow at times. It might be hard. You won't be perfect in this life. But that will happen. Rejoice. God is reversing the work of the enemy. And God reverses the work of the enemy through the gospel. In the Garden of, Adam, in the Garden of Eden, this enemy Satan shows up And what does he do? He says, you can't trust God's word. It's not trustworthy. But then Jesus comes along and he shows us that God's word is completely trustworthy. He believes everything about it. Says that it's really his word too and that it's about him. In the Garden of Eden, the enemy comes along and says, sin, Adam, Eve, you got to try it. It's great. Disobeying God, you'll be like God. It's wonderful. But the gospel shows us that no, sin leads to death and suffering and the wrath of God. That's why Jesus was on the cross, because of sin. In the Garden of Eden, the enemy comes in, says, ah, obeying God, not that important important. There won't be any consequences if you disobey. But then as Adam and Eve sinned, they're driven out of the Garden of Eden, out of God's presence, out of that place where there's joy and paradise, gone. Seems like irreversible impact. But rejoice. God reverses the work of the enemy. The enemy used one man, Adam, 
to bring the whole universe into chaos and disorder. God reverses that. He uses one man, Jesus Christ, to come and die for sins and bring the whole universe back into order. You have the, the enemy comes and he fractures relationships. He says, you, you guys aren't the same skin color. You can't be friends. He says, you're, not, you're, you're male and you're female. How can you get along? He says, oh, your family, your family's a mess. That's the way it's meant to be. But God reverses the work of the enemy. Through Christ, what happens is a group of people, no matter what their backgrounds are, no matter what their skin colors are, no matter what their languages are, are now united in the church. One body. The enemy comes along and his work, he brings death. All he brings is death and destruction. God says, I can reverse that. Here's how I'm going to reverse it. I'm going to send my son. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to die. And when he dies, he's going to defeat death. He does. That's what Jesus did. So he re- uses death to defeat death. He reverses the work of the enemy. And then the great reversal, he rises from the grave to live forever. So that all who believe in him will live forever with him, reversing the work of the enemy. All that death died to take the punishment we deserve. God reverses the work of the enemy. You feel dirty? God promises he can cleanse you. The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came that you would have life and have it abundantly. And that Garden of Eden that we were driven out of, there's tree of life, rivers, precious gold, Stones like that. God's presence most of all. We read the book of Revelation and we see what heaven is described like. There's like tree of life and rivers and gold. And most importantly, God is there. We're in God's presence again. Rejoice. God reverses the work of the enemy. Right now, there are elderly people in hospice. Minutes, hours, days to live. Death, going to sever relationships. It won't always be that way. Right now, there are parents up on the hill in Sacred Heart wondering, are my kids going to make it? Are they going to be okay? It won't always be that way. It will not always be that way. Right now, there's families in conflict saying, is this what life is like? Trying to understand each other, trying to love one another, but it only leads, makes things worse. It won't always be that way. Right now, people are gripped in addictions and slavery and unjust imprisonment and loneliness and depression, but it won't always be that way. God reverses the work of the enemy. And that's really good news. He's doing it right now. So this is something to remember. The enemies of God can only do so much. See, they're not, even the most powerful enemy, Satan, is limited. He's not all-powerful. In fact, really, 
He can't really destroy things. He can just corrupt things and make them worthy of destruction. God ultimately has the decision of what's going on. But since God is, has made everything, he's the creator, he's the engineer, the designer, he knows exactly how to fix everything. He knows exactly how to make everything right. He knows exactly how to reverse the damage. And God is all-powerful. So nothing will get in your way, in his way. Nothing will get in his way, in his way for you and your life. So your body feels broken. God can reverse that. Resurrection body, live forever. You're, you feel dead inside. God can reverse that, make you born again. You trust him. You feel like your emotions are just out of control. God can reverse that. Give you his Holy Spirit so that you can have self-control. You mess up all your relationships. God can reverse that. He can make it so that he's your number one relationship and the other things start to fall in order. Won't be perfect in this life, but you'll make progress. You're struggling with that same sin. God can reverse that and give you victory. In, in greater level now, but fully in the age to come. So restoring Notre Dame from fire and water damage, it continues. Now, if you had fire or water damage in your house here in Spokane, my guess is you might call ServPro of Spokane, which has a great motto. It's this, like it never even happened. Now, that seems like a good thing. People say, like, it never even happened. But here's the really amazing thing. If we use that to describe what God is doing, we'd be wrong. Because what actually happens is God makes it so that it's even better. There is something now, even though there's much wrong with the world, there's, it's going to be even better because of how it was broken than it would be as if it never happened. And that is a reason to rejoice. We should be the most joyful people this morning because God reverses the work of the enemy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth. Would you help us to believe it? God, there's so much in this world that is hard for us. And God, I confess my own sin, my own selfishness that is often a lack of joy. And Lord, it's because I don't see this clearly. So would you help me? Would you help my brothers and sisters to do the same? To really be confident that you are reversing the work of the enemy. Would you help us to have confidence in the future that you control? Help us to rejoice in light of that. We pray, Lord, that you would if anyone here is not trusting you, that they would turn from being someone who practices sin and instead turns to Christ and trust him to have been the one who died for that sin. In Jesus' name, amen.